0: Hey, what's going on? Jason Bay here. Welcome to Blissful Prospecting. In this podcast, I'm on a mission to help sales reps and sales teams turn complete strangers into paying customers. So if you're a BDR, SDR, account executive, any type of full cycle sales rep, whether you're selling professional services, software, insurance, whatever it might be, if you're having to use cold email and cold calls and, you know, LinkedIn to get in touch with prospects to schedule meetings, you're definitely in the right place. I believe in three things. One, I believe sales is something that we can both have fun with and kick ass at the same time. It doesn't have to be this really boring, you know, sort of serious thing that we're doing all the time. Uh, two, I believe that it's okay to make more money and not be ashamed of it. So we talk about money on this show. And I also believe that sales is a lifestyle. Especially outbound, we're building lifelong skills when we can really desensitize ourselves to rejection, learn how to talk to strangers better, learn how to have more empathy, and all of those things. So sales very much is a lifestyle in my book. So let's get into the episode today. So I'm talking to a guy, Oliver Bloom. He's an enterprise account executive at a company called Talkwalker. We actually connected back in 2017 because we were in a Facebook group called uh, BAMF, Badass Marketers and Founders. And this is before I formally started Blissful Prospecting. So it was still under jasonbay.com, and we had messaged back and forth, and he reached out a couple months ago. He was like, hey, dude, been digging into the podcast. Do you need a guest? And we started talking, and he's doing some cool stuff. So I was like, hell yeah, dude. (laughs) You know, let's do it. He had this idea that I think you're really going to enjoy in this episode um, he's really progressed through the SDR and AE ranks very quickly into enterprise sales. So one of the things that I was really curious about with him is, I was like, dude, it'd be really cool if we could reverse engineer a couple deals that you've closed in the last year or two. So he actually, in this conversation, is going to reverse engineer two deals that he closed from start to finish. So what he did to prospect and get the appointment, the triggers that he found, who he reached out to, how he got the appointments, how we closed the deal all of that kind of stuff. We get into his background. He's got something that I'm a really big fan of that he talks about, and it's mutual respect with your prospects. So how do you come in and make asks of your prospects so that they see you as a peer and a partner versus this subservient salesperson? He's also gonna go through his process you know, for researching. He has something what he calls being aggressively relevant. Yeah, I think you're really going to dig this one. So without further ado, let's get you to the episode. So we were talking before we hit record. We had, we have quite the history
1: on on LinkedIn. (laughs) It's pretty, it's it's pretty funny. Honestly, when I, when I looked at that, when we reconnected a couple months ago that really took me down uh that really took yeah. me down memory lane there
0: yeah well that was back in 2017 that was i still had a i had a website open up at jasonbay.com so blissful prospecting wasn't officially quite blissful prospecting quite yet and what were you doing at that time 2017 so yeah so what i were was
1: i had just graduated college mm-hmm. and i was working at a brand consultancy slash marketing firm. Um, and I was helping one of our clients build a newsletter. Uh, we had this, this client that was a Bay Area based um, kind of like marketing and advertising community. They would pull marketers and advertisers that, that, that were you know in business in the Bay Area together for events and award shows and you know, charity fundraising and, you know, all, all that guy, you know, fireside chats, all that good stuff. And, um, they had, they had tasked, uh, us to help them build their, their newsletter base. And I think, I don't know how it was, but I think that's why we had connected and, and we talked about, it. you said, Hey man, I'm, you know, I'm in the process of building my newsletter subscription too, um, <laughs> or my, 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 um, you know, newsletter base as well. Um, you know, do you have any tips for me? And I think I sent you something and then you, you sent me something, um, about, about building business or something. And gosh, I mean, when I looked at that after, I mean, that was five, six or six years ago, five years ago. Now it's just, it's just yeah. wild. It's crazy. So tell me about the,
0: you were in a marketing role at that time you've done s- several roles since then, but how do you end up getting into sales?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's been an interesting journey. Um. To to say the least. So how I got into the marketing firm, I'll kind of explain that story first. I I was at University of San Francisco. I was a sophomore, about to start that summer going into my junior year. And my professor at the time, who was an advertising um, professor, he was the CEO of a small marketing firm. And Basically, I approached him at the end of the year. I was like, "Hey, look, I'm you know I don't want to go back down to LA and you know you know waste time with friends. I'm kind of ready to get the career started. Do, do you know anyone that would hire an intern for the summer?" He goes, "Hey, come work for me." Um, cool. So I, I worked for him just for a summer. Uh, and after the summer, I'm getting ready to go back to school. And he goes, "Hey, look, you're doing some great stuff. I'd love for you to take some night classes." He had poll at the university and said, "Look, I can help get some of your classes changed around." I was like, wow, I didn't really expect that to happen, but you know what? That's that's an interesting opportunity. I never really saw myself being in marketing forever, but yeah, let's do it. So for the next two years, I basically worked about three days a week for him, um, working on a bunch of different just kind of client projects, branding projects, brand positioning, market positioning, um, messaging for, for ads and, and, and campaigns and things like that. And um, I graduated and stayed there for another two years. And, and for the, you know, for a job in college and a job after college, it, it was perfect. Uh, it was a small shop. I, I kind of got to do what I wanted. I, I had free range to, you know, interact with clients and pitch clients in the ways that I wanted. But at the end of the day, at the end, kind of the, that three or three and a half year mark, I realized that the job was very subjective to what the client viewed you either did a good job or you didn't do a good job. And it was yeah, it was up to one or two people in the room. Right. So it's it was, mostly hey,
0: was it mostly creative work that you guys were doing for your Yeah. Clients?
1: So yeah, yeah, exactly. It was it it was kind of a mix between like strategic and creative. We would go out and we'd research their industry. We'd do interviews and you know with their with their clients and you know with their competitors and we basically, hey, this is all the stuff we heard. Here's what we think think you should go do. And they'd either say this is great or they'd say this is not so great, you know, and yeah, at the end of the day, it was it was a subjective industry and a subjective world that was very hard for me to live in. and And I did a lot of soul searching for you know five or six months during that period. and i I came to the conclusion that I want to be in an, an objective world where I know that the needle is being moved forward every day or every week. There's things I can measure success on. And you know, when a good thing happens, it goes forward. When a bad thing happens, it goes backwards. And I know, you know, what to expect. And so that realization came to: hey, maybe you know, maybe sales. Right? I'm great with people. I can talk forever, um, as I'm probably doing right now. <laughs> but but um, but no, that 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 was kind of the conclusion. And so I, I worked as a recruiter. Um, I was introduced to a company called Quid back in 2019. Um, and I was hired by, uh, by Quid as, as kind of a, a, a mix between an SDR and a solutions consultant. Half of my job was going out and booking meetings and qualifying inbound leads and, you know, passing demo requests to the certain, you know, account executives they go to. Uh, and then the second half was building the demos um, listening in on discovery and qualification calls to understand, um, you know what what people wanted, what people needed, and how we were supposed to build demos against you know the certain topics that we were going to build those demos against. And so it was actually the perfect role for me at the time because I do love being creative, right? And I did love that aspect of the job at Catalyst. Catalyst was, was the marketing firm that I was at, um, but then it gave me that also objective lens to say. I got five meetings this week. I qualified four people this yeah. week, right? You know what I mean. So it was it was actually kind of the the, the perfect balance. Um, so that's that's kind of how the journey started, from 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 the marketing firm in, in, into the sales world.
0: Yeah, you mentioned objective. It's so interesting to me because sales and you know outbound it's measured in a very objective way, but it's also very kind of like creative work. There's like think about writing an email and the words that you put into an email. There's a structure and a framework you can use, but there isn't really, it's not a math equation. you know what I mean? You ever think about that? There's kind of this weird polarity (laughs) in what we do in sales and that we're measured very objectively on things that are very much subjective, you know, for the most part, when it comes to what we think will be good. There's so much of outbound, especially, that is kind of an exercise in marketing where you're following some fundamentals and just kind of just throwing a bunch of shit out there Mm -hmm. and seeing what works and then doubling down, you know, on that. What are are your thoughts on that? Yeah,
1: yeah, no, exactly. And that's why I think also, I mean, for me personally, I think that sales has been such a great and rewarding journey because I do still get to be creative, right? I do get to use the four years of experience that I got from interviewing clients or interviewing competitors and then creating a message for someone to say, hey, this is what we think the right messaging is for your customers. I basically get to do that just for my own personal business, right? For my own personal Oliver Bloom's accounts, um, yeah. and then and then go out and test that messaging, and then it's then it's a subjective game. Then it's a hey, you know, this worked for you know the manufacturing client, but you know it didn't work for the shipping client, or or, or so on, right? You know, mm-hmm. and so you get that creative sense, but you also get the mathematical. Hey, I booked two meetings with messaging. You know, A one got no yep. meetings with messaging. A two. Right. So yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. It's interesting. There is, it's, it's not a math math. It's a math heavy results oriented business, but there's no mathematical solution that could, you know, we, we, we tie up in a bow and send off and make a million dollars a year, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. In some ways I'm like, God, I wish I could be a software person or an engineer or something, dude. But, um, so walk me through as an SDR, what did you struggle with most in the first couple of months?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I struggled with the consistency, yeah. right? It is, it is a numbers game. And it, I mean, you get, you get nose, you get a, you know, you get seven meetings a week and you hit your bonus, you know, in, in a week and a half for the, for the month. And sometimes you get no meetings in 10 days. Right. And it was just, I struggled with the up and down nature of the game and, having to reassure myself that just because you're not getting responses out there, you are still doing a good job. And, you know, mm-hmm. just, just kind of dealing with the emotions and the up and down. I think that was, that was really, really tough. Um, but once you start to see after those few months, at least I started to see that, Hey, even when I had a couple weeks where I wasn't, you know, booking very many meetings, a couple weeks prior, there's a couple deals out there that are most likely going to bring in revenue for the company like that's a little bit bigger than me that's that gives my me and my work when i am booking meetings kind of a bigger purpose that look we're going to close you know 100k worth of business off of what i did 3 months ago that's that's a pretty big accomplishment in itself we wouldn't have that money as a company if i wasn't able to you know do what i was doing with the kind of you know the the boots on the ground kind of that first lines of of military attack there you know what i mean so um Yeah, it it was it was tough, but I think that kind of helped me through. And then, um, you know, someone gave me an amazing, an amazing piece of advice about six months after I started as an SCR. They said, you know what you should do every single day at 445 before you pack up your things, and go home, start a gratitude journal and write down two things you did well that day or three things or even if it's just one, just write down something that you did well that day, whether it's. You found the perfect prospect. Uh, You booked two meetings. Um, You took a discovery call from an AE because his calendar was booked and you got all the things you needed. Like whatever it is, write down some stuff that you did well that day. And when I started doing that, and I didn't do it every day at first, but when I started doing that, I could noticeably tell that when I walked into work the next day, I was more fired up than I was when the days that I didn't. And so I've started to do that every single day. Now I, I do it every single day after I, right before I sign off for the day. And and we talk about the ups and downs of sales, like that really helps me stay motivated and focused and positive because you you hear it from salespeople all the time. They're, they're, you know, they're, they get burnout because, you know, there's two months where they don't close a deal or, or as an SDR, there's 12 days, you know, 12 business days where they get, you know, 50 no's and people yelling on the phone to stop calling them, right? It's, it's it's a hard, it's a hard game to play. And so if you can find something that you do every day or a couple of things that you do well every day, it, it will allow you to mentally stay focused and hungry and, and come in with, with a positive attitude the next morning.
0: Yeah, dude, the gratitude and just giving yourself a pat on the back and some words of encouragement is huge. I have you heard of? Uh, do you know who Mel Robbins is? Have you heard of her?
1: No, I don't think so. No.
0: So she's got some really good stuff. She has. She came out with a a book and she does motivational speaking around something called the five second rule. And that was, you know, when you don't want to do something, when you wake up in the morning and you're thinking about getting out of bed or not, you count down from five, a, a, you know, a friend,
1: take... a friend told me about the five second rule once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, she <laughs> just came out with something in the last year or so I think, um, called the high five habit. And I thought it was just kind of weird. I was like, oh, I'll, I'll try it. And I've been doing it for three or four weeks and it's, it's super simple, dude, in the mirror in the morning, you know, put some cold water on my face, whatever, wake up. And I look at myself in the mirror and ask myself, what do I need today? Like, what do I need to show up and be or do today? And a lot of times, like this morning, it was, I had like four client training calls today, which is a lot for me in one day. It's like, Hey Mm -hmm. dude, show up. Like these people are paying for you to be here, like bring the energy, deliver the goods, you know, et cetera. You got this. And you give yourself like a high five, you know, in the mirror. And it sounds super weird and cheesy, but I find I do get that little bit of that feeling when that camaraderie, when you do high five someone, when you've done something good, I I get a bit of that, which is kind of interesting, but I I'm totally just, whatever works for you, I think with this, whether it's gratitude journal, high five, I don't know, whatever you do to pump yourself up, I think is super important.
1: I love it. Yeah. That, that, that's awesome. No, I I love that concept. It's like, I, you know, playing team sports as, as a kid and yeah. I school, still growing up, you run off the field, the more high fives you get when you come off the field, the more excited you're the you better you feel. Yeah. In, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, then you're just, you know, the more high fives you get, the, the more yeah. you're counting down to get back on the field. Cause you're like, Oh, I did a great job. Let's go. You know?
0: <laughs> yeah. So you had a pretty big mentor. It sounds like from the time you spent transitioning from an SDR to an AE. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I was on kind of an interesting track when I joined Quid back in 2019, because I'd, I'd done a lot of work at my consulting firm and at my marketing firm um, with a lot of, you know, really high level people, you know, C, C-suite executives at, you know, 200, 300, 500 million dollar companies. And we kind of recognized that. And so we, we did kind of this special track when I joined Quid. And so nine months after um, I did kind of the hybrid SDR solutions consultant route, I, I trained directly under a man named David Katz. He was the VP of global sales at, uh, at Quid at the time. And essentially I was a fly on the wall for six months while he worked every deal, he worked, you know, every strategic meeting that was, you know, I was available to, or, or that, that I was allowed to kind of attend, you know, that weren't like C-suite executive kind of internal meetings, Um, I, I was able to be a fly on the wall for him and I took away from that, you know, how he handled himself on calls, how he handled objections, how he moved from, you know, a qualification to a demo or a demo to a scoping call or a scoping call to a, you know, contract negotiation and pricing negotiation and so on and so forth. And, I mean he's he's been closing, you know, 100k plus, you know, 500k plus deals for the last, you know, 10 years of his career. I mean he's an absolute killer, right? And yeah. and I was able to learn from him and um, you know, a- after that I was put directly into an enterprise AE role because I had that training, which is, you know, somewhat un- uncommon, right? You usually see see an SDR kind of go from SDR to like a commercial or a, or a mid-market AE. And one thing stood out for me and, and that i've carried on since that six-month training period um, is the most important thing from a prospect and a uh, like a pitcher and a prospect or a salesperson and a prospect to have is mutual respect and mutual wow. respect is gained in a lot of different ways but how david did it and, and, and what i loved the most was he had this idea of a pass-fail test that he would create, or he, he would have a prospect create for him in order to move forward with a demo? And essentially, how the conversation went was like this: Hey, you know, we've had two qualification discovery calls so far. You know, I understand what you need. You know, you understand that there is some sort of need for you for our product. We'd like to move forward in, in a demo. We're not going to give you any sort of just, you know, fly off, you know, just, um, you know, cookie cutter demo. What we're going to do is we're going to create something custom because we really like the value that you have. But in order for us to get our solutions consultants, our product team, buy the data from our partners in order to create this custom demo for you, which is going to take you know time, money and, and resources, what we need from you is to create a test for us that we know that we can go in and pass, right? So you know, think of the three, the five, the seven things that you need to see from our product and write that down for us. We'll have a 20 minute meeting, we'll discuss it in detail so that we can say, hey, yes, we can pass this test. We'll go ahead and spend the money because we feel confident that spending the money with our data, spending the time and the resources to build that custom demo, we have a chance of actually, you know, passing that test and, and winning this deal. And so what it does is say, hey, we're not just going to sit there and say, look at us, look at us, look at us, look how flat, you know, flap our wings, you know, look how great our product is. It's a, let me find this specific need, the specific fit, and and let's move forward in a mutually respectful way that we know we're creating a partnership now. And I have used that in 90% of the deals um, that I've ever worked on. And, and it, whether you win the deal or not, at the end of the day, it creates so much respect from the prospect that people rarely ever go cold. Right. You hear from lots of salespeople and, you know, account executives that, you know, I had this great demo, but then I never heard from the guys again. I don't know what happened. Right. And being able to create that mutual respect, you know, the the, the chances of someone dying off and, and going radio silent diminish significantly when you can have that kind of mutual respect, create a pass fail test, you know, whatever it is you want to do to create that, but that's a great way that he did. And I've carried that forward since then.
0: Yeah. It creates more of a, you use the word, you know, partnership. And I think it creates this peer partnership dynamic with the prospect where they look at you as an equal versus someone that's chasing you know, their business. How did you get the opportunity with the VP? Were you hand selected for that? Is it something you raised your hand and said you want to do? How did you get that opportunity?
1: Um, from the, the VP at my company.
0: Yeah. How did you get the opportunity to work yeah, side well, by it, side it, with this person like that? You know,
1: we it was kind of on the basis of me getting hired there. Um, I had a couple other oh. job opportunities. You know, as soon as I started working with a recruiter, I had um, you know, a number of different opportunities kind of come my way. And I saw those opportunities out and had um, about three three job offers at the time that I was ready to leave my my marketing firm. And the other two opportunities were just kind of like, hey, you're going to be cold calling for eight hours a day. And then, you know, if you do well, we'll throw you into an AE position at the end of, you know, 18 months. And that was, it's kind of typical, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's how a lot of, you know, SaaS companies are, are operating these days. But um guy that I was getting hired internally at Quid, Ian Gamble, great, great guy, great leader. He ended up leaving the company about six months after I, I, I joined. But he basically saw that, hey, you've been working with people that are C-suites before, like you've got this kind of interesting skill set that you know, people two years out of college and that are usually kind of joining the SDR, you know, world. Don't necessarily have so let's let's take advantage of that and I want to create you know a fast track for you basically said look we'll put you in an SDR position for nine months and we'll put you in a position to train with whether it's an AE or myself or or one of the VPs we'll pair you up with someone um, that will allow you to learn the full cycle before you actually start working the full cycle and I said yeah you know, I mean it's a no brainer coming to this company now and so. When, when I joined um, David Katz, the, the VP that I mentioned earlier, um, he started working. We we went through a merger about six months after I, I, I um, joined the company. And within that merger, David started working on new business, cross-sell and existing accounts. So he was kind of this hybrid, like VP, seller, account manager. He, he kind of took on this, life of his own role at this company. And basically it, it, it came to everyone essentially, Hey, he might need kind of like an assistant. And I basically said, Hey, look, we ca- we came up with the fast track that I would train under someone. Why don't I train under you? I'll help you manage the accounts. I'll, I'll sit in on all calls. And so that's how it kind of um, that's how it kind of came to be. I, I just kind of saw an opportunity once his role kind of uh, evolved um, and yeah. kind of took, took advantage of it. So yeah, that's, that's cool, kind of man. how that came to be.
0: Yeah. It sounds like that's been a big part of your, your career development in learning so fast too, you know, it's a, let's, let's kind of segue into what we wanted to do next that you've prepared for us. Cause I think it will be really good to see all of this in here in action. There's a couple of deals that you've, you know, kind of taken from start to finish and we thought it would be kind of cool to reverse engineer. Know, how you close yeah. some of those deals. So let me know where <clears throat> you want to get started here. I'm excited to do yeah. into this.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, me too. I, I I'm I'm excited too and, and, and kind of had to do some thinking and um, which is always good for me. Um but yeah so so I guess I'll start I guess we'll end with kind of the big fish. Um but we'll start with a, a, a somewhat of a smaller deal. This was kind of a, a, a niche opportunity in case uh, use case that, that our company at the time, the company that I was working for quit at the time could solve. Um, so I, it was, there was a major U S bank, not going to, not going to name names or, or or give out people's names or anything, but it was a major U S bank, um, that we were looking at going after. And so I just kind of scoured the, the website and LinkedIn and, um, I, I googled, uh, I think it was like eight major executives at the time that we were looking to hopefully some books and meetings with. and one of the executives came up in a, a Google search and an article that had been written about three weeks ago. and essentially that that article was talking about how this major bank was, you know, really putting a lot of resources into acquiring um, sustainable, businesses, investing in sustainable businesses and, you know, ESG focused companies for their kind of investment banking arm. And within the article, the woman who was the executive at the the bank was quoted saying, you know, we're having a lot of success, but we're seeing a lot of competition from Barclays uh, specifically within this kind of sector. They're kind of hopping up and, and, and acquiring and doing a lot of this investing as well.
0: This wasn't in an interview that you found? Or this was, a, it was, a a kind of it was, it was an article. It was an
1: article that was written. I forget what the source was. It was like TechCrunch or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, one of those type of sources. And she had been mentioned from, you know, some other interview um, that she'd said we're competing a lot with Barclays. And, you can know, you, bing, can the light. Can you yeah, actually,
0: before we dig into this, I think it'd be helpful too. Can you give context just to so the people listening? also have context in the, like, what was the solution that you were selling? Yeah. You know, so yeah. context yeah, yeah, yeah. Into why you chose to reach out to this person, why yeah. you chose to look for news articles, that kind of thing.
1: Great. Yeah. Great, great. Oh, that's, that's probably a better place to start. Um, so at, at Quid, which is the company I was working for at the time, we had a data visualization solution that pieced together news articles, company descriptions from... Um, Crunchbase and Capital IQ, and then patents from Thomson Reuters. And we would visualize all these different pieces of data and kind of show how they all interacted with each other. And essentially, the solution was, uh, you know, to be able to understand market movements and major trends so that large businesses could invest properly into, you know, the future of a certain industry. Right. And so they could see which companies were entering a different space, which were getting certain funding, which was taking over market share in a certain way, what patents were being, in, um, uh, you know, acquired and um, filed and in certain spaces and what companies and what countries were filing those patents. And you could really kind of paint yourself a picture to say, this is what. The future of this industry is going to look like in the next five to 15 years and so we would sell to strategy um investment um corporate development folks that were again focused on what's the future of our business in the next five to 15 years and so essentially for this major bank reaching out, we wanted to look at the people that were doing mergers and acquisitions, the people that were doing corporate development, the people that were doing, um, you know, customer strategy and corporate strategy and things like that. And so this woman fell under the kind of merger and acquisition um, department within their like investment banking arm. Um, And so that's that's how we kind of found her, you know, researched her, found the article that she was mentioned saying, hey, we're looking at sustainable investing, but we're having Um, a lot of competition from Barclays. And the light kind of popped off in my head. I go, wonderful, because Barclays is a huge client of ours, right? So I reached out to her and I basically just said, hey, look, I, you know, I saw you were mentioned in this article about sustainable investing, just wanted to let you know that Barclays is doing this exact kind of work with us. I'd love to show you, you know, what you can do to compete more with Barclays. I mean, it was a really simple email. And she responded immediately, I mean, not immediately, but, you know, within the next couple of days, as, as a high executive usually does, um, and said, hey, Oliver, this this sounds great, you know, please work with my executive assistant to set up a meeting. And so when we set up a meeting, there was about nine people on the initial meeting. There was people from the investment team that worked directly under her, there was analysts on the team that were doing, you know, merger and acquisition research, Um, And there was uh, one of their sustainable executives as well. And so essentially, you know, number one was able to provide massive value to her to say, hey, I know you're doing the sustainable stuff. Let me show you how we do sustainable investing research. And then number two, the biggest problem you're having right now from what you said is, is the competition is Barclays they use our product for exactly what you're doing and they're giving you trouble because of it. So let's talk. Right. So she immediately.
0: Sorry to interrupt. Do you, is there any, cause I get asked this a lot. Is there a risk in alienating your client Barclays in this case, by reaching out to a competitor of theirs and saying, we can help you do what they're doing. Is there any risk?
1: Yeah. You know, client? it's, it's, it's a great question, right? I think that mm-hmm. there's certain clients that say, Hey, you're not allowed to say that we're clients. Yeah. Right? In that, in that case, Barclays wasn't one of those clients. So it was only a handful that said, Hey, you're not allowed to use speaker. Yeah. Right. And that was part of the contract. And Barclays wasn't that I, I actually had to make sure That's a great question. I actually had to make sure before saying that, because yeah. there is, it's like Barclays comes back and says, dude, what the heck are you doing? Right, yeah. and they stop, you know, spending money with us or yeah. something. And what 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 I would always do at that point, and what we did in this in the scenario, is look, we're not going to show you any of the work Barclays doing. We don't even have access to the work they're doing on the platform. But what mm-hmm. we can tell you is they're they're using our use cases around merger and acquisition research, company and merger and acquisition identification, um, and this is how you do that research. Right, and so it's basically saying without showing you know uncovering what barclays is doing this is exactly pretty much what they're what they should be doing um so yeah i mean there's there's obviously they could get upset if they were to find out about that i guess um but there's no sort of contractual obligation that we have to never speak their name
0: yeah yeah what are your thoughts on that in general that (laughs) As a strategy of saying, hey, we're basically working with these competitors right now, and we'd love to share with you what they're doing. What are your thoughts on that strategy? Just in general, yeah. I mean, it's it's a,
1: it's an interesting one, right? I think that there definitely is there definitely are some people that are going to be upset. I guess my argument from that, especially if they're doing like uh industry innovative work with your with your platform you can say hey look all boats rise if everyone in the industry is using it and, the, and everyone in the industry is going to get better yeah the entire industry is going to make more money you're going to get more investment you're going to get more customers it's going to be out to the public more like whatever i, you, I think you can kind of spin that into an all boats rise scenario yeah um but your leadership but I think it sounds I, like it's
0: your leadership was okay with you guys doing that though. It yeah. Like. Our, our leadership yeah. was
1: okay with us doing it. And I think it's, a. I mean, look, it's a great way to book meetings, right? If, yeah. if, if you don't have any sort of contractual thing there, then, you know, they can't necessarily get mad at you. And if your product's valuable, they're not going to dip out just because you said that yeah. they're using you. Right. I mean, if yeah. you've got a valuable product, then it's, they're just going to say, Hey, can you please not do that again? Sure. Let's sign an agreement and we won't say anything. Yeah. So, so,
0: so you're sitting in the first meeting, there's nine people and you're like shitting your pants or what?
1: Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> it was like I mean, the the you know, the the level of of senior leadership that was on that call was really really nerve-wracking for sure, but Yeah. the the guy I was working with at the time, we, this was when I was working with David. Um you know, David was able to prepare us really 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 well. Yeah. Um and essentially, you know, we went in and we did a, a, an initial kind of pitch, and there's, there's too many, and there's nine people on a, on a first meeting. You know, I mean, you can't do discovery, right? You you can, yeah. you sit there and you get all different opinions, and right? I mean, you you just can't do a discovery. You you say, hey, I know you saw that. You know, we reached out for this reason. We wanted to do a pitch to you and let us know. You know, how we're working with companies like Barclays and you know some of the other banks that we're working with um, to do some investing research. And then we'd like to pinpoint, you know, a point of entry to get in and, and start doing an actual discovery call to understand how you guys are doing this now. And they said, you know, that's kind of how we set the call. They said, hey, great. That sounds awesome. Um, so we did the pitch and we said, this is how we help, you know, merger and acquisition teams. And it was funny enough because we were actually coming out with a product at the time that was a merger and acquisition predictor. And essentially what you could do is you could predict mergers and acquisitions in the market from your biggest competitors. And so one of their biggest, you know, pain points and one of their, one of their biggest kind of points of interest after the kind of 20 minute pitch was we would love to understand who Barclays and, you know, us bank and, you know, Wells Fargo, you know, who their, uh, you know, very likely to acquire or who their clients are very likely to acquire. And so essentially um, we did, you know, a few different demos. We ended up doing, you know, very rigorous pass fail tests that they ended up actually paying for because, um, you know, it was more of a pilot than even a pass fail test. We, we ended up doing, a, I think it was like, they paid like 75K to just do a pilot with us, say, hey, we'll do one company for us and predict some of their, you know, M&A activity. And we did. Um, and we, I mean, all it took was one, right. We predicted one acquisition in the market and um, yeah, they ended up, they ended up paying well over, well over six figures to kind of implement that they could do that once a quarter with our product. And it all be, it, and it all came from, you know, talk about reverse engineering, right. It all came from the fact that we were incredibly relevant with the first touch point. It yeah. was a focus of theirs. And there was a pain point of theirs. I mean, it was kind of a double whammy, right? It was, they, they yeah. gave us the focus, the sustainable investing to say, Hey, look, I know you're doing sustainable investing. Let's talk. We know how to do that too, but not only your biggest competitor is using us. So, you know, let's show let me show you what we can do. So that where was, you, that was, um, that was a fun one for sure.
0: Where do you like to look for research? Is Google typically the first place you're going to go? And can you get kind of tactical with that? What, what do you like to look for? What do you like to search for? Yeah, so how do you look for stuff?
1: I like to look at ex- my first, my first point is executives. So I'll look at the names of the five or six biggest executives or the five biggest names that fall within my persona that I'm going after. And I literally just put their name in and put interview after usually on Google. And if there's five or six people at a big company, because like, I've been working enterprise. So it's, you know, the billion dollars plus yeah. um, a lot of those people will be in the news, right? They'll, they'll have some sort of, I've, I've always been going after kind of customer facing and, and kind of investment facing individuals. And there's lots of reports and interviews on those kind of people. So I can usually find something like that. Um, I love going at the 10 K's, I think the 10 K, the strategy and and, and or the business strategy, and then like the risk factor sections are always great. Um, you could always find great pieces of information there. Um, and then I, um, you know, I, I like looking at conferences too, right? Like ever since things went, um, you know, virtual because of COVID, there's been a lot of Uh, there's been a lot of digital conferences and digital talks that um, have free access to them now. And so you can kind of find um, little nuggets in there for sure. So that's, I mean, it's usually Google and executives though. I mean, if you can say, Hey, I saw either you said this, or you go kind of, you know, a level below that person and you reach out to the five people that report up to that person and said, Hey, uh, you know, Jason Bay said he wanted to do X, Y, Z you know, I know you report to them. Let me show you how you can do it. Um, you know, those people are, are usually willing to at least entertain, or if not just say, Hey, let me get a case study at least, you know? So,
0: yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Killer. So what about deal number two?
1: Yeah. So this, this was, um, this was, this was the biggest deal I ever closed. Um, And it was done solely. This is after I kind of moved on from David. Um, So we had a partner that was a major consulting firm, one of the big, big four consulting firms. Um, And they were working with a large biotech company based out of California. And our partner had come to us and said, Hey, um, this, this company is getting really fed up with, um the 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 non-transparent data ingestion that that a lot of their other consultants are giving them and so they're signing on with us because we use your product and they like to they love your like they love the visualizations that your product gives so we wanted to just let you know that they're um, you know canceling other contracts with other big consultancies and moving directly to ours because of your product so you know number one thank you number two if you guys wanted to use that as some sort of success story you know whatever you know pl- you know let us know we can you know do yeah. something right and so th- that company was in my territory and so i said hey that's that's awesome right and so i essentially wrote a note to the head of enterprise data at that company and i said hey You know, I just got wind that you moved all your stuff to, you know, consultant number one, um, because of our product, you know, number one, thank you. Number two, I'd love to have a conversation about how we can bring our product on board to your team as well. And even, you know, even faster uh, or, you know, even more reduce that transparency issue that, you know, you talked about with consultancy number one. And she basically wrote back today Hey, that, that sounds great. Like, I, I love the idea of that. Um, you know, that's fantastic. And so essentially we worked with the consultancy that was kind of like a three pronged deal. We worked with the consultancy and we worked with the, with the, with the prospective client that ended up becoming the client, the biotech company um, to create a system that they could all share data within to completely eliminate, Transparency and latency issues in terms of like reporting from that consultancy. And uh, we ended up getting into three different departments. Uh, We ended up closing, it was just shy of $250,000. And essentially, you know, that deal happened also very, very quickly because we came to them with, we said, hey, we already understand you, we already understand the pain point, we know that you just tried to solve this as best as you can but let me show you how you can even solve it more right and that I mean that deal closed within like five months and I mean you're talking about a company that's you know it's it's on the fortune 100 list it's a typically a year and a half to a two-year cycle right I mean these are massive massive deals that take a long time to close and we were able to do it in five months And, and and the craziest part about this deal Thank God that she was okay, but we were about to sign a contract and and the woman got into a major accident. She got into a major car accident and and the deal was stalled for two months because she was not in the office and not working. And she would text me every two weeks and say, hey, Oliver, still super excited about our deal. I'm on the road to recovery um, you know, just wait for me to get back in the office and we'll close this. I mean, for the fact that a prospect to be in the hospital or be on the road to recover, be majorly injured to be, you know, sending notes because we had so much value invested in them. And they knew that is, I mean, it's, it's incredible. Right. And she gets back into the office and four days later, there's, you know, 247 K, you know, coming into our company. Um, and so, I mean, to even be held up almost two months, I mean, that was a three month deal with a two month delay. Right. Um, so it was great. It it, it was great. And I, I think there's all, there's always value in, you know, partners and what partners can provide if you're at a big enough company that has partnerships and has, you know, joint accounts with your partners. Uh, there's so much information that you can get from those guys. Um, and that you can use, whether it's in, you know, creating a bigger account or, um, you know, getting a new account, um, you know, in, in the same industry that, you know, you, just, you there's a lot of information that could be had from those people. So, um, yeah, that, that was a fun one for sure. That that helped me make my yearly number. Let's just say that.
0: <laughs> yeah. How did you a big part of your success, it sounds like, too, is being able to kind of tell the story. You know, how do you think about storytelling in your sales approach?
1: Yeah, that's a a great question. I think that in order to tell a good story, you have to know your audience, Mm -hmm. right? And, And in order to know your audience, you have to do discovery and you have to be aggressive with your question asking and your digging, right? I mean, it's almost to the point where I, I, sometimes like when people say, Hey, look, I, you know, I've given you enough of like, can't you tell me what you do now? Right. Cause I'm like, okay, fine. All right. Yes. Look, I'm just trying to get to know you. I'm just trying to make sure that I'm, I'm telling you the right story at the end of the day. Right. And, and, and I, um, I kind of go by the Toyota, um, you know, the five whys. do you know about the Toyota five whys? um, uh, basically heard of the five whys.
0: I don't know if, about the Toyota specifically. I don't know if I'm so, aware of.
1: so um it originated it originally it originated um from toyota where they would have a problem with a car right they'd have a problem with the the door not locking properly on a car and they'd say Mm -hmm. why is the door not not locking properly oh because the the lock is busted. Okay, why is the lock busted? Oh, because there's a problem on the assembly line. Okay, why is there a problem on the assembly line? Because there's a, a problem with yeah. um, you know, a button, right? Whatever, but yeah. you keep asking why, 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 yeah. why, why until you get yeah. down right. Until you get down to um, you know, the root of the problem, right? And and so yeah. I, I, I love asking why as many times as I possibly can until the prospect says, look, because I need to drive revenue, right? Duh. And then you go, okay, great. Right, let me let me tell my story against how you can drive revenue. So it's all about discovery, in my opinion.
0: Yeah what what do you know now, having done this for a while, about discovery that you would give yourself advice as you know a person doing their very first discovery call? If you could remember that, what what what, would you, what advice would you give yourself, knowing what you know now? Yeah,
1: I think my, the biggest advice that I would give is just don't be afraid, because when yeah. I think you know when I started out even as an SDR. And even when I became an AE and I was doing everything myself, right. It's, you kind of, you don't want to upset people because you know, you're so excited. You got a prospect on the phone, you got, you want to pitch and you want to tell them, you know, why your company is so great. Right. But don't be afraid to ask and ask and ask, because at the end of the day, the more information that you have, the better your story is going to be for that specific person. Um, and I was, I would always get afraid about, you know, upsetting someone and, if they've booked a meeting with you and you can set up and say, hey, look, I want to understand what you do so that I can tell you the right story and I can give you the right information. If you can set that up, no one's really going to ever get that upset with you for asking a bunch of questions and trying to understand.
0: Them. Yeah. How do you feel like you balance that with you know, research and preparation and that sort of stuff where you're asking the questions, but you're also showing them that, Hey, I also spent some time trying to figure this stuff out myself. How do you think about that, the balance between the two?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, and it is a, a tricky balance for sure. Um, look, I mean, you, you, you got to go into the research with whether, I mean, you, you don't have to do that much either. What i found is if you can come out and say, hey, look, I you know, appreciate you taking the call. I saw you guys are launching a new product. You know, I'd love to talk to you about how you know my company can maybe help you launch the product. Can you tell me what how your team's involved? Right. If you can just yeah. give them one little piece of nugget like that, just to see that, Hey, I know what your company's up to. Right. They're, they're going to be, you know, much more receptive to you asking questions than if you just come in and say, uh, okay, so, you know, why is, why is the baby ugly? Right. You know what I mean? So yeah. Um, yeah. I think it it, it, just, it just is just takes a little bit of time and it just it takes one good piece of, of, of information that you can relay back to them um for them to kind of open up for you.
0: Yeah. Love it, man. Before you take off, I got one more question for you. What yeah, what's been a it. really impactful resource for you? A book, podcast, a person that you follow, anything yeah. like that. What's been the most impactful for you getting into your sales career?
1: Um this is not on the list of what you just said, but I, honestly, I love Gong. I think Gong yeah. is such an amazing resource. Yeah. Um it's a phenomenal tool to go back. I mean, the, 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 the innovative, the product features that they've come out with over the last, I don't know, year or so have just made calculating the worthiness of continuing a conversation with certain prospects and not so easy. Yeah. Right. I mean yeah. the, the whole deal flow, they thing that they've created that gauges the interactivity of each party on, on the account has, it has helped me say, you know what, I, this deal is done. I'm not going to pursue it when, you know, without the tool or before, you know, I really started kind of digging into Gong and the power of it. Um, you know, I, I, chase and I chase and I chase, cause I wanted to get the deal. And, you know, you sit there and you're like, you send five emails and you send three, you know, you leave three voicemails. Why aren't these people getting back to me? And, you know, Gong just helps me not do that anymore. Um, because our time <laughs> is so valuable, you know what I mean. It's just yeah. I, I'm like I, I can I cannot chase these people anymore because Gong helps me get you know take that data. So I I, I love Gong. I, I think it's a phenomenal tool.
0: Yeah, I second that, dude. Gong's pretty badass, man. <laughs> so where uh, where can people go to connect with you? Where do you want people? to Yeah, go yeah, to, to just out, connect my, yeah you? my
1: my LinkedIn. Um, Oliver Bloom. I'm located in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, work at Talkwalker right now. Um, and so yeah send me a you know send me a note through LinkedIn uh, and then you know my personal email is just bloom and my last name dot Oliver my first name and then my middle name which is scott at gmail.com so bloom.oliverscott at gmail.com yeah I would love to connect to anyone listening and it's been awesome man I really appreciate you having me on this has been super fun and I I, again I, I can't believe we connected over almost six five six years ago it's It's so funny how this came full circle and um, I I love the content you put out. I keep putting it out because I swear it's, it's, it's helping me for sure, man. I appreciate that.